Dort College. This has always been a dream of mine. Not really, kind of, for real. Um, <laughs> no, but I remember uh, years ago, probably maybe about 18 years ago, I worked um, at Bethany Christian Services as a foster care and adoptive worker, and I had a colleague there um, who actually went to Dort. So you've certainly um, been on my radar for many years, and so I haven't been to this, this part of the bride um, before, but I had an invitation to Northwestern, and I thought since I'm in the neighborhood or in the neighboring cornfield, I would, just, I would just jog on over. So thank you for your kind hospitality and for your warm welcome. I'm so grateful to be here with you all uh, this morning to break open the word of life um, for us all. And so um, before I read the scripture, will you pray with me? Great word of life, great light of the world, speak to us now. Shine upon us, we pray, so when we look, we will see, and when we listen, we will hear. But we don't want to be those who simply see and hear. Let our hearts be transformed by the power of your truth. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be found acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen and amen. And so the word of the Lord comes to us from the book of Acts, Chapter 9, I'm sorry, chapter 8, and I will begin with verse 26. But first, I have a disclaimer, and that is, this is my, tra my travel Bible. I've been traveling with this for like 15 years before I started wearing glasses and turned 40. So I need to come up with a different plan. Just bear with me here. Let's see. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, but on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of the prophet Isaiah. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading, Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, here is water. Why should not be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. 
Where are you? Where have you been? And what have you been doing? Three questions that God has raised in the context of Scripture that I think are some of the most important questions that God imposes to us. Where are you? God asks this question of Adam and of Eve in the garden after they have already partaken of the fruit, the knowledge of good and evil. God said, everything here you can have and you may certainly partake of, but just this one thing as an active demonstration of my love, just this one thing as an act of obedience, do not touch it. Do not eat of it, in fact. And they did. And they realized they were naked and ashamed and they hid. And God came walking in the cool of the evening and they were hiding and God called out to them, where are you? See, it's not that God was concerned about the, geographically where they were located, not that God could not see them and did not know where they were hiding. God's question, where are you, is a question that pertains to God in particular. Where are you in proximity to me? Just yesterday, we walked together in the cool of that evening, but today, our relationship has been broken, something has been severed, and I'm just wondering where you are in this relationship. Where are you, Adam and Eve and humanity? Where are you? And then, where have you been is the question God asks of the evil one who traipses into the council of angels as God is gathered there, and God wants to know where have you been? Walking to and fro throughout the earth, looking to see who it is that I might be able to devour is the response. God is concerned about where evil is prevalent in our midst. Concerned about the broken places, the destructive places, and the places where the enemy, the evil one, runs roughshod through our communities and our lives and our world. Not only that, God is also concerned with where we've been and then what we have been doing. God asked Elijah on a desperate day, what have you been doing, Elijah? Life is being sought. He, have, he has watched the other prophets slain. And his own life is threatened, and he needs a word from the Lord. He needs to have a face-to-face -face encounter with God. But even before he has an opportunity to meet God on the mountain, the word of the Lord comes to him and asks him, what have you been doing? And he says, I've been faithful. And so God says, meet me on the mountain. What have you been doing? Where have you been? Where are you? I was minding my own business one day, which is a rare occasion because generally I do tend to be in other people's business. Pray for me when you think about it. It's kind of the role of a pastor, so I tell myself. Minding my business one day and I felt like where I was there 
in my own life and in my own experience as a pastor, as someone who not only pastors a, a dynamic congregation, but also pastors a wonderful community. I definitely consider myself to be a community pastor. I'm sort of tending the sheep and minding my own business right there where, where I was, where I am, where I believe God called me to be. And I had been in many places throughout the community, listening and praying and learning and growing and continue to do just that. And one day I happened to turn on the television and as I did, I heard about a water crisis in Flint, Michigan. Now you should know Flint is about a little, a little over two hours from where I live. I don't know anybody in Flint. I mean, maybe I do, I do now for sure, but I, you know, I don't have any relatives or anybody in Flint. But, but I was immediately struck by the idea that this, this woman on the television was saying that she could not take a shower because her water was contaminated. Now, I knew about the water crisis. I had heard about how people couldn't drink the water. I had heard about the diseases. I saw the Time Magazine thing, you know, with the picture of the child on it. My heart was gripped by that. But we just can't do it all. We can't do it all all the time. And so I just saw it and continued to do the work where I was, when I was, the way I was doing it. But that day, something gripped me and said, what are you going to do about Flint? I didn't know what to do, so I just said, well, what should I do, Lord? What would you have me to do? And after one thing after another, I found myself Googling different schools in Flint so that we could maybe partner with them to bring hope, and then nursing homes in Flint. And, and one thing after another, eventually we began to develop a partnership there and to begin to engage where God called us in that place. I only bring that up because I kind of think of that in a small way to be kind of like what Philip's experience was, although his was greater and more powerful. See, Philip was minding his own business, which I'm sure he did all the time. I'm glad because I like to think I'm funny a little bit. So if you just laugh when I'm not funny, then I'll go back and say, you know, Dork College is, you know, the real deal. If you don't laugh, I don't know. No, I'm just playing. So, so Philip is doing his, doing his thing. He knows where he is. He's in Samaria, a place that's been established by a woman a long time ago who came back into a town declaring, let me tell you everything there is to know about someone who told me everything there is to know about me. And um, Philip is doing vital ministry, sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, in that place according to his assignment. That's where he is. That's where he's been. That's what he's doing. When a voice from the Lord should speak to him and tell him to get up and go down south, there's something about the questions that God poses to us that is not just about are we Christians? Are we believers? Are we on our way to heaven? Are we good people? There's something more to the questions that God poses in the text of Scripture that bounce off the pages back into our heart and soul that interrogates us in order that we might be able to understand whether or not God can trust us. So we spent a lot of time talking about trusting God. One day I was in the grocery store and God said, 
do you trust me? Yeah, don't think it's strange. God said, do you trust me? Yeah, God, I trust you. Do you trust me? Yeah, I trust you. Do you trust me? Well, see, God, what happened was sometimes you do things that I wouldn't ordinarily do. And so we had to have a conversation that ultimately ended up with God saying, but my ways are always good concerning you. Trust, trust, trust is so important. We want to know that we have a God that we trust. We sing about the God we trust. But can God trust us where we are while we're doing what we're doing, while we are where we are? God trusts Philip. How do we know that? Because God tells him to get up and go and doesn't even tell him where he's going. And Philip doesn't stop and say, well, you got to let me know where I'm going, how long it's going to take, draw me a map, give me a link. You know, I need to have all of that. How long am I going to be there? Because I'm over here and I got Bible study Wednesday and I have to come over here and I have to eat at such and such as how Lydia's house tomorrow. No, he goes. How many of us could just go? Not because we're in a place of disobedience, not because we're in a place that's wrong or a place that's, that's bad, but we're doing, we're right where we need to be. But how many of us are on the tips of our toes saying, Lord, but if you tell me to go without instruction, without an escort, without all of the details, I will go. Philip went, he went down the road. I, I, I wonder how long, I always wonder how long he, he was walking or running before he finally saw the chariot. And God said, go run alongside the chariot. And so Philip starts running. I'm not in shape. I should get in shape in case God tells me to run <laughs> behind a bicycle. Look, God can't trust me with that. That's pray for me. <laughs> but Philip, God trusted Philip, and Philip began to run. And I don't know how long Philip had to run alongside that chariot, but he did exactly what God told him to do. Because God trusted him, and he realized there was a responsibility there. He didn't know what God was going to do, didn't know what God wanted him to say. All he knew was that he had instructions that he would carry out for the sake of the God he loved and the gospel he proclaimed. And so he ran alongside of this chariot. Beloved, how many times is it that we set out to do ministry or outreach or community engagement or, or, or set out to do something outside of our own atmosphere, how often do we come into that experience just running alongside? Not with the answers for the questions have not been raised yet. Not with an immediate um, remedy or something that's going to just immediately solve the problem so you could go back to Samaria and do whatever it was that you were doing before that was certainly important. Philip was pleased to run alongside the chariot. And there in the chariot was an individual much more powerful than himself. This man was a dignitary. This man was a person who took care of things in his own community. Sometimes when we look at people different from us, different ethnicities, different colors, different expressions, we might have the inclination to immediately think that they might not quite be as influential as we are, might not be as educated as we are, might not be as informed or as cultured as we are, because we might think that only informed, cultured, educated people look like us. Philip ran alongside long enough to figure out exactly what was going on in the chariot. I wonder if any of us in our engagement, our summer camps, and our missional opportunities could dare be challenged and let God trust us enough for us to just run alongside and just listen. And as Philip was listening, he found out something that was astounding. And we might not understand it in this context, but the fact that this Ethiopian eunuch had just come from Jerusalem 
Jerusalem, the home of the Jews. You got to have to understand that, 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 that Christianity had just started getting its legs under it. And he was, and Philip was one of the people who was actually helping to, to further the gospel. These are in the early days. And already the word of God has traveled to Ethiopia. Such that this, this important dignified man would come from his town to go down to Jerusalem to worship. And he's on his way back. And as he's coming back, the word of God is already open. Listen, the word of God is open in places that we are not yet. I'm going to South Africa in two weeks, three weeks. Actually, I'm excited to be able to go and, and share an orphan crisis there. But the Lord continues to impart upon me, Denise, remember that I'm already in South Africa. You're not bringing me to South Africa. I'm, I've, been, I've been to Japan three times doing ministry. God said, I'm already in Japan. I'm already, I was already in China. I was already in Mexico. I was already in the hood. I was already in Harlem. I was already in Harlem, Michigan. I'm already there. In somebody's living room or, or kitchen table, there's always a dusty old Bible somewhere, if not at their house, at grandma's house. Don't make the assumption that it's my responsibility to bring the word because the word is Jesus Christ who is already there. Philip recognizes that the word is already open and God is already present. So his only responsibility is to join in to what God is already doing. Do you know what it is you're reading there? He didn't say, let me explain that to you. He didn't say, do, do you want to be baptized? He didn't say, you, you're Ethiopian, what do you know about this? He wasn't uncomfortable. He didn't cast his eyes down. He didn't sort of do the twitch that we can do, but instead he asked a question. wonder as God calls us into intercultural places and spaces, how many questions do we ask? Or do we have the answers? Philip says, do you know? Because I don't want to assume that you do or you don't do, you know. And he said, how can I know unless someone tells me? And then he invites him into the chariot. You know, there's one thing about it is that if we hang around long enough as believers, if we ask the right questions, if God truly trusts us, we will be invited into places we never thought we'd be invited into. We'll be invited into communities. We'll be invited to tables. We'll be invited to churches. We'll be invited into stories that are so different from our own stories. Maybe the reason we continue to live and breathe and do our life with people just like us is because God doesn't trust us. Or maybe because we're not asking the right questions. Or maybe we don't stick around long enough to be invited into the chariot. I'm so grateful for our partnerships in Flint. I have one amazing partnership with a church called The Church Without Walls. And they have invited me and Maple Avenue, my church, to, to come and sit in the chariot with them in Flint to have a front row seat to the things that are going on. And not just us bringing water or us trying to bring hope, but also participating in worship together and life together and learning more and more about what God is doing and how God is on move in a city that might seem to be broken and devastated. And I also sharing with them what God is doing in a city that might seem to have it all together. Invited into the chariot. And then Philip is ready. He's ready to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's, really, he's ready. This is his divine moment for him to do the very thing that he's on the earth to do. How many of us are prepared to witness to the gospel on the spot? Excuse me. How many of us, well, you know, you want to know about Jesus? Let me bring you to church and let my pastor, I have people tell me that, let my pastor tell you. This person wants to be a believer. Pastor Denise, will you talk to them? 
Sometimes on the desert road going down south, as the brother's on his way to Ethiopia, we don't have time to go all the pastor. I'm over here doing, endured, preaching the word to the people. I don't have time. I'm not, it's not my assignment. How many of us are prepared? Because we've done our work in the spirit. We've done our work in our Bible studies. We've done our work in our relationship with God and with each other such that we're ready to share the good news of the gospel to whoever might ask, what must I do to be saved? It's not enough for us to just be on our way to heaven. It's not just enough for us to be baptized as infants. It's not just enough to go to Christian colleges and call ourselves good people. But we have to be ready to give a reason for the hope that is within us. And Philip seized the moment and out of him overflowed this, the knowledge and the conviction and his love for the word of God. And the good brother heard the word. And he he believed, and he was ready to put his belief into action. See, he had already been to Jerusalem, and that was a big move. He had already heard the word. That was a big move. That's like people, they already went to church. They already went to young life. You already went to the camp. You already did all that, but there comes a time when that person is ready to make that, solidify that commitment. What must I do? What's, what, pre what prevents me from taking that ultimate step, from being baptized. Now, in my congregation, I would have to tell them, well, you got to meet with the elders, and I think the elders meet every second Tuesday, so you can meet with the elders. After you meet with them, then we'll see, and then probably we'll schedule with the worship team when baptism is going to take place. But sometimes we have to seize the urgency of the word and of the moment. I'm not telling you how to go on against your polity. I mean, you do that at your own peril. But I'm saying if I must do it, and if you must do it, that is what God trusts us with in that time. We have to be ready to respond to the move of God. And so then, the most amazing, this is the most amazing thing of all. You know, I take groups of people from church and, and from the community with me um, to do missions. Uh, certainly, you know, we do, I don't really like to call what, I, what we do in Flint missions. We call it our partnership to bring hope because I believe Flint needs hope more than they need water. Um, but we bring quite a few people with us. But one of the things that, that I always stress is when we come in, we don't want to be disruptive. We want to come in at a time that is opportune. We want to drop off the water, the supplies, or whatever God has placed um, on our heart to bring at that time. We want to take that. We want to drop it off. We want to go home. We don't want to take pictures. We don't want to stand around and ask a thousand questions. These are busy people doing ministry in their own community. They don't have time to entertain me. They don't have time to entertain my people. They don't have time to be exploited on somebody's Facebook page because look what great job that I've done where we are. I say to my people before we go, let's go in and let's get out. One time we had a group call us back. Oh, will you come back? We didn't get a picture with you. That's different. You want a picture? We're here to serve you. We'll be on our way back to take the picture. But we're not in here to do that. And that's, and that's what I love about Philip here because when Philip's job is done, he's gone. Off to the next place that God has trusted him to. 
Do we linger? Do we hang around? Do we want to have our face in lights and our name be known? Do we want to be the fixer of the problem, the savior? We don't hear about the Ethiopian eunuch anymore. We don't know what happened to him. We do know that there's an Ethiopian church that's thriving in Ethiopia right now for the sake of Christ. But we don't know whatever happened to him. It's not for us to know what happens to those who God trusts us with for a time. It is only for us to do vital ministry where we are. So when God says, where are you? We're here. We're being faithful. We're tilling the soil. So that when God says, what have you been doing? We can say, we've been doing that which is faithful according to what we believe. When God says, where have you been? We've been where you have called us to be. And sometimes we've been in uncomfortable places. And sometimes we've been in places of comfort. Sometimes we've been in places with people just like us. Sometimes we've been in places with people who are nothing like us. But God, would you trust us to call us where we are to places that we would have never gone in order to run alongside, to listen and to hear long enough to be invited in to proclaim the gospel because we're ready. To respond to the response that comes and then to be ready to be quickened taken up in the spirit, back to the place where we were in uh, uh, Iowa or uh, South Dakota or Holland, Michigan or New Jersey or wherever it is that God took us from, that we might go back to that place or to the next place, knowing that we don't have to be a savior. Christ died 2,000 years ago, so we don't have to be. We just have to be trustworthy. This is our assignment. This is God's desire for us. I believe if Philip was here today, this would be the message he would proclaim to you. But if not, unfortunately, you only have me, a vessel from God, to proclaim to you, beloved, to just be ready. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, we thank you and praise you for the gift of your word. For the indwelling of your spirit, O God, that your word will not return unto you void according to your promise, but will accomplish exactly what you sent it forth to do. And so now, God, I pray that you would break the stone off of our hearts, break the, uh, the, the, the dry parched ground of our souls, in order that this seed, the seed of your word, would find good root and in doing so would break forth to bear fruit that will last fruit with seed in it, for your glory, which is for your good, O oh Lord. And we bless you. And we thank you and we praise you, Lord Jesus, great word of life, that you have visited us here today. You deserve all glory and honor and dominion and wisdom and power. It is already yours. And so, God, be glorified in our lives. For Christ's sake, amen.